All right, let's talk about Luke 2. So coincidentally, since it's baby dedication day, we're going to do the birth story of Jesus today, which Luke does in the second chapter. Uh, remember, Luke, Luke is a research paper to Theophilus. Uh, Theophilus, there, you know, we had multiple discussions. <clears throat> Most people agree he's probably the uh, city administrator of Antioch of Syria. Because that's kind of where Paul is based, and the, church, the early church moves once he moves to Jerusalem. Uh, Luke is a physician. Uh, there is also reasonable data that says that Luke may have actually been a slave of Theophilus and that he essentially appointed Luke to travel with Paul after Paul after Theophilus converted to Christianity. Because uh, remember in the first century most physicians were in fact slaves. They were not like we think of them, like me, that you know that you, it's it's a high-ending uh, job here in America. In the early world, most rich families had their own physician of one of their slaves. They would take a smart kid, apprentice him, and that way you would have a slave in your family. That was a physician, and slavery was a lot. You know, Rome had a population of about a million people at this time. Over 900,000 of those were slaves. So slavery was a different thing than what we think of it like the old South Plantation. Uh, there were slaves that owned slaves. We, we have all sorts of records from the Roman empires of slaves who owned slaves. Uh, you were allowed to work on your own on the side. And so there is, uh, some people believe that Luke actually was a slave of the office that was given to Paul, and that's why you see him moving in and out of the travels with Paul through Acts. But Jeff, was there an ownership component in all of these slaves? Oh, I, absolutely. There was the ownership it, it, It's Slavery in the Roman Empire was more about who controlled who and who owned who. Who, who were you responsible to? And so uh, it wasn't like working on the plantation like we think of chattel slavery. So that you owed, a, you owed a certain amount of work to your family, and that once you exceeded that work, then you could work on your own. So there's, we, there's all sorts of uh, stories of you know, silversmiths who were slaves, and so they worked an X amount of their, of their family and then worked for themselves, and in fact, would in fact buy their freedom later on. And then there are also slaves like who were silversmiths that owned slaves that worked for them. So it's a very different than what we kind of think of slavery. Yes? Could you repeat the million, 900,000 statistic again? Most of the experts say Rome had a population of about a million people at this time, which is a huge city. Sure. Uh, most experts say about 90% of them were slaves of some sort. The reason I ask you to do that is, uh, and I know this isn't the subject of your class today, but there's a current thread in our world today, particularly in religious circles, that said, well, Paul was just wrong about Onesimus going back to become a slave. But that, that, was, that was just, you know, Paul was just wrong. Paul was wrong about that. I don't think people that say that understand how interwoven this was into culture and society. 
Well, like you said, it, it's not like what you think North America's slavery was at all. I mean, because you remember, in the Old Testament, if you go back a little outside of our thing, there are rules for if when the Hebrews move into the uh, Promised Land and they take slaves, if that slave wants to stay with your family, how do you treat them? And how, and how you mark them? And they really, this, yes, it's slavery, but that slave becomes de facto part of your family. And it's, you know, you, when you look in Leviticus with the laws, it says, you know, you have to treat that slave like they're part of your family. Right. I just got to, like, study that a little bit more. When's the last time I studied Leviticus? Not recently, but I mean, prior to, you know, this. Um, and so it, it's interesting that, like, I have such a problem. I, mean, I believe slavery is morally reprehensible. Like, I do. I don't think a person should own someone else. But, like, it's in the Old Testament. Like, it's talked about how that, you know, here's the laws of how to govern your slaves. Um, but if you take them, one, one, one thing to at least take is, like, you take them and you put them up against other slave laws that they, they were elevating humanity at that time. Like, they, 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 slaves were supposed to be allowed to have the Sabbath, you know, um, and, and they were, you know, treated a lot better. And actually, it's just interesting in the Onesimus conversation, there's laws that says that they cannot return runaway slaves to their masters. So, like, what is Paul doing? Is he is he going against, like, some of the stuff of Leviticus? Like, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it was a... Well, it'd, be, it'd be interesting to, to read. I, I don't really know. In the backdrop of all that, I, I, I sense what Paul did was radically yeah. different. Yeah. And helpful. Well, and I don't, it, I, I don't, I don't want to talk about you know, 2,000 years later and said he was just... Absolutely. It was somehow based on now they are both Christians. And this is this Christian relationship trumped, or we you know it changed their relationship as master and slave somehow. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't fully understand it, but um, it, there's a lot going on there with oh, yeah. the, the way that the, the Jewish and Israelite people uh, handled their slaves somewhat, hopefully, differently and better than other people. Although that doesn't like justified, I, I believe, either. Well, what, one of the main reasons that Christianity w has been able to flourish in so many different times in so many different cultures is its adaptability to circumstances. And it's, it, 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 it's not the sort of thing that says you have to go in and change everything wherever you live, but... It, it, is, it is something that says you have to find a way to live differently in the circumstances in which you find yourself. Right. I, the, and, 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 yes. so that, and, and so that has, that has one message to an Onesimus, but it has another message to the person who owns slaves. And, right. and, and, and so the, mes the message to the owner is not one of you can keep doing this. But the message to the person that does not have any physical power in the circumstances where they are, there's a different message there. And, and, I, and I think that's one of the things that we have to bring to this as, as people that have a relatively decent amount of power in how we live our lives. Because we're getting, we're, we're getting a message that's closer to the one to the slave owner, not the one to Onesimus. I didn't know about the million and then 900,000 slaves. Oh, yeah. I didn't know about Rome was built, the city of Rome ran on, on slavery. 
that which is why I mean if you go back and you look at uh, uh, Kirk Douglas's I Spartacus, right? <laughs> Made Spartacus. That's why the Romans were so afraid of, of slave revolts. When Spartacus were rebelled, because they realized, oh, there are you know, 900,000 slaves here, and there's 100,000 of us. Right. Yeah, we have all the swords, but you know, at 9 to 1... They can probably get some swords. Yeah, they're going to have some swords pretty quick. And you know, uh, we, we could die. And that's why the Romans are, throughout history, are terrified of slave revolts. Every time there's a slave revolt, it is put down very hard and very finely. Uh, and we'll talk about that as we get closer to the crucifixion, uh, the uh, slave revolt in Zipporah, uh, uh, which is near Nazareth. Uh, the Romans put that down in a way that I guarantee everyone remembers for the rest of their lives. All right, so but the theme of Luke, again, is 1910, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Luke is... Basically, write a book that says Jesus is the Messiah of everyone. Not just the Jews, not the rich, not just the poor, but everyone. And so that is really the theme of the book of Luke. And when you look, when you go on in Acts, the theme of the book of Acts is the spread of the church for everybody. Slave owner and slave. Rich, poor, male, female, Greek, Hebrew, Roman. All right, let's talk about the birth story. This is the birth story. Does this sound vaguely familiar? All right. Mary rides a donkey into the town on a dark and stormy night. Right? She's in labor. So Joseph knocking on all the doors. No, no room, no room, no room, no room. Turn away. They go, what? we have a cave. You can go to the cave. Uh, she bursts the baby by herself because, you know, that's the way she is. Uh, the shepherds show up, and the next day, sun comes up, and the Magi show up. That, you know, that's kind of the birth story, right? If you, if you can compress it really fast. Uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit. That, that is not the birth story in Luke, by any stretch. Uh, All right. That's the kids' play. That's the kids' play version. And then you know, if you buy when you buy your uh, nativity scene, you know it has all these those parts in it. Because the nativity scene always has the magi on the camels, always has the donkey. Uh, it's got the shepherds with their sheep right there. Uh, and, and that's not a hundred percent of what really happened. All right. Now in these days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. So Luke is very accurate when he does stuff. Tells you, he's very educated, he's going to tell you when things occur. Uh, that a census was taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken why uh, Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Uh, and everyone was on the way to register for the census, each to his own city. <laughs> Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which was called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary who was engaged to him, and who was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no room in the inn. There's the entire birth story out of Luke. Uh, it's missing some of the other parts that we historically have talked about. Uh, but interestingly enough, 
we have, may have layered on a lot of this through other uh, stories. Uh, you'll, you'll see a lot of people when they talk about Luke, and the, only two, the worst stories are only in Luke and Matthew. Mark doesn't have it at all. John didn't talk about it. Uh, so you'll see people say that Luke and Matthew do not uh, coincide. Because Luke says it's the first census twice Quirinius is governor. Quirinius, I looked him up. Just to, he is the, uh, the George Patton of the Roman Empire. He's a very, very, very famous general. Uh, and he was governor of Syria from 4 to 10 AD. And George so, Patton believed in incarnation. He probably thought he was Quirinius. He probably, I guarantee, I guarantee he knew who he was. Uh, he's a guy that he, everyone he fights, he, he defeats, and so he gets promoted. Uh, he actually is uh, ends up marrying one of the granddaughters of uh, Augustus Caesar. Uh, so it tells you kind of how where he stands in the uh, in the pantheon of Romans at the time. Uh, pretty big up there. Pretty big up there, yes. Uh, and so everyone, and remember, this book was probably written in Antioch of Syria. They know, they remember who Quirinius is, and we have actually found arches uh, in the cities where he lived that had his name engraved on them. So he's a pretty well-known guy. Uh, he technically was not governor this first time he was there. He was only governor the second time. So people will say that that's where Matthew and Luke differ. They go, oh, Luke, Luke missed up his birthday by... Uh, eight years. Uh, I'll also talk about that. Jesus was not born in the year zero, by the way. Because uh, A, there was no year zero. And B, uh, a guy named Dionysus the Hubble, who was a, uh, a monk in the fourth century, miscounted. He tried to put together the first uh, when was Jesus born, and he miscounts by about six years. And so he puts Jesus born in year one. But in reality, he's probably born in year five BC. Uh, but it turns out Quirinius was actually governor. He was governor this time. This time he was procurator for the emperor. So everyone called that governor. Technically, that's not governor. That's a different place. But he controlled Syria twice. Uh, and so... Even when you, we, the more we get into history, the more we realize that Luke was in fact accurate. That uh, Jesus was probably born. Uh, the, the one reason we know that he was not born in this section is Herod the Great is, is if you look at the other books, Herod the Great is still alive. He tries to kill Jesus when he kills all the babies in Bethlehem. He dies in 4 BC. So we're pretty sure that he was not around in 4 AD or 1 AD. So, everything you think, Jesus was probably born around 4 to 5 B.C. Uh, and so this is the entire story from Luke. Yes? What's the background to the census in those days? That's oh. an awful lot of trouble to go to. Uh, it's not trouble. Oh, there we go. Maybe it's taxes. Uh, so you got all this trouble to pay taxes? Yep. Not to pay taxes. 
to be taxed. It's not to be taxed. Yeah, it's, it's not trouble for the Romans. The Romans had no contacts. The Romans had no problem with this. They just uh, addressed it. Must, it must have been horrific sanctions if you didn't go, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Right. The, the Romans had one sanction. You misbehave, you, got, you become a foot shorter. They do not fool around. So, uh, every 14, Augustus Caesar said every 14 years he wants to count the Roman Empire, not because he wants to know how big it is, but he, all the governors owed taxes to the emperor based on their head tax. So every 14 years, they counted people. And so for the next 14 years, you owed, as the governor, that amount of tax to the emperor. And so that's how he knew you weren't stealing from him, is that you owed basically about a denarii per head uh, per year. And so that's, you know, when we get into the Gospels, we see Matthew, the tax collector and stuff. That's why tax collectors are very, very important, is that the governor owes that money to the emperor. And if, you, if you're short, you think loan sharks are bad. The emperor, again, there's only one punishment. Get your head chopped off. Get your head chopped off, exactly. Right. Or, or if you want to make a real thing, he crucified you. That's what I was saying, like, or worse. Or worse, yeah. So, uh, so this is just part of the, of the administrative structure of the Roman Empire. About every 14 years, 12 to 14 years, they had a census. That's what's occurring now. This is the census under Augustus when all these guys were in. So you can tell about when it was. It was about 5 to 6 uh, AD. Which makes sense. They're just counting the males? Yeah. I mean, every 14 years, you've got a new crop, right, of male, of adult males. Right. Generation. It's about 14 to 15 years of generation that age. Because remember, the average person probably only lived into the 30s at this period of time. I mean, yeah, if you're a wealthy Roman, you probably live in the 70s or 80s. But if you're out working in the fields, you may only live into your 30s. So uh, 14, 15 is a generation. So basically every generation, they're, they're having a tax. Was it a time of year that they did this? Or was it a whole, I mean, did they have like a whole year to get there and get counted? Or did they no, have like a... No, we'll talk about that in two seconds. Uh, hang on. All right. We'll talk about, we'll talk about where, and then we'll talk about how they did it. Basically, he's going to Bethlehem. Why? Joseph is from there. Uh, it's, it's a very small village, less than 1,000 people at the time. It's about 10 miles from uh, Jerusalem. Uh, I found this because this is a 3D image of the land. So you can see Bethlehem and Jerusalem sit in this little draw up here. Jerusalem's on top of the hill. Bethlehem's like right here. Uh, Samaria's right here. So if you're a good Jew, you don't go through Samaria. You go around Samaria. So you can either come out to the coast and up, or you can go down to the river and down. It's about 100 miles either way. It's about 60 miles if you go straight. Uh, over, which, over the mountains. Over the mountains, which we find, Jesus, Jesus does it one time because he talks to the woman at the, at, the, at the well. He is going through where Jews don't go. Uh, this is the road here is why the Romans are concerned about this area. That's, this is the Via Mera, which is the road that runs up the coast where all the grain during the winter moves. Remember, it's all about food. Uh, so, this, so this is probably the path they took. Went down to the coast, walked up, and walked back up to Bethlehem. Uh, 
interestingly enough, uh, let's talk about this. Almost everything that we think we know about the, uh, the birth actually comes from this book, The Proto-Evangelism of James, written about 200 AD by a Greek. Uh, it was super popular. It was translated into all these different languages. And it, it was uh, part of the Gnostic tradition about the separation of spirit and flesh. So it, it started the veneration of uh, Mary. Oh, there's veneration of Mary. So it talks about the perpetual virginity. It gives all this backstory. It's, it talks about how uh, they showed up in a dark and stormy night. Uh, we're pretty sure they did not. Joseph was not an idiot. Or more importantly, Mary's mother was not an idiot. And she didn't let her daughter walk to Bethlehem nine, and a half, nine months pregnant and ready to have the baby. They probably were there significantly before that. Getting back to what you're talking about of when did this occur? Uh, but it's, it's a lot, this particular book has a lot of the stories we is, hear about. Is the donkey there? No, the donkey, the donkey is not added to about 580. Okay. The donkey is added, we know Joseph and Mary are dirt poor. Because we get a little bit later in the story, they give the poor person's sacrifice. Yeah. The donkey is added in 580 by the Christians as an anti-Jewish uh, jive. They, they sh it, it, there's a story that comes out of 500 AD that this donkey in Nazareth picks up Mary and carries her to Bethlehem because he the donkey recognizes that the Savior, the Messiah, is she's pregnant with the Messiah. Uh, and so that the whole thing is that even the donkeys recognize Jesus as the Messiah, so how dumb are the Jews? Because they don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. That gets, so that's added in about 500. There was no donkey. So in all your nativities, take the donkey out. There was no donkey there. Joseph and Mary are poor. They, they cannot afford it. A donkey is the Cadillac in the first century. You know, it's a nice way smooth to get ride. smooth ride to get around. Yes. It ribs. can go up the hills, doesn't need a lot. You know how, how it goes. Easy to get on and off. So Joseph and Mary did not have a donkey. Uh, Mary also, I guarantee you, did not birth alone in... So let's get to the when, and we'll talk about the birth. Uh, probably, there are lots and lots and lots of books written and papers written about when was Jesus born. Was he born in the spring? Was he born in the fall? Everyone agrees he was not born on December 25th. All right, that is not Jesus' birthday. Why did that become a thing? Oh, we're going to talk about that. The next, the next slide is going to talk about that. Because uh, we know Jesus was born, because Herod dies in 4 BC. Uh, there's a large astronomical event in 6 BC. Uh, Andy Reese does a really great presentation on that. Uh, if he, he'll do it around Easter again. It's, it's really good. Uh, we also know from uh, Zacharias what division he was in, when, when they're serving. Because Josephus in 70 AD, when, when Jerusalem was overthrown, tells us which uh, division of priests was on in the temple. And we can backtrack it from there. And we know that uh, John's father was probably on duty around June or July of 7 BC. So assuming that they got pregnant soon thereafter, that gives John being born somewhere around April, which is around Passover. Uh, John the Baptist and Jesus were about six months different. 
so that puts Jesus born somewhere in the fall. Uh, and then the other thing is if you're talking about censuses are not done in the winter. The Romans do not want to kill everyone while they're counting them. Because if you're dead, you can't pay taxes. So they tended to do censuses in the fall, after the harvest, before the winter. They don't want to do it in the spring because then you can't plant your fields. And then plus the fact that the roads are really messy from the winter, it's hard to travel. So they tend to be almost always in the fall. So we're assuming that Jesus was probably born in the fall, sometime around the Feast of Tabernacles, or maybe Rosh Hashanah. Although I will admit that there are guys that will flip this and say John was born in the fall and Jesus was born at Passover. And I can go with either one. All I know is he's not born in the 25th. Well, and, it, and it's, it's worth noting, going back to Luke uh, identifying the first, the first term right. as governor of Syria, that to get an idea of maybe what time of the year Jesus was born, we had to go through one, two, three, four, oh, yeah. five, six different sources just to get a nice solid maybe for this. Yes. That if, you were, if, if you were a historian who was interviewing people like Luke is and you were trying to get all of this into one sentence... You're hoping for a general idea to, to get it located, but it's not necessarily something that's going to stand up to historicity any better than that donkey is. Oh, yeah. And that, that, that's right. I mean, Luke has given us a, a ballpark of who was alive, who was the governor when he was born. Yeah. And everyone at the time of the writing would know that. Oh, Quirinus. Oh, it was, it was Augustus. Remember, Tiberius was the emperor at the time, so it, which is Augustus's grandson. Uh, so you get a lot of the uh, this. All right, so the question is, why do we celebrate December 25th? Uh, Constantine, everything bad that occurs occurred in church, and Constantine does. Uh, he makes the official religion, and he does a lot of things that probably had nothing to do with reality, but he's also the emperor, and when the emperor does stuff, gets done. Uh, there are basically uh, three celebrations around December 25th already in the Roman Empire. You have the solstice on the 23rd, uh, the festival of Saturnia. Saturnia is the god of uh, growth and planting. So there was this huge week-long festival when everything was closed. Uh, every, there was no rich, no poor during that week. There were just public festivals everywhere. Uh, so the Roman Empire basically shut down for this period of time. Uh, and then also, the Babylonians had the birthday of Mithra, the sun god, was December 25th. So we think all that kind of superimposed, and so when uh, Constantine decided to create a birthday for Jesus, he picked an already existing holiday. Because again, you, know, you don't want to create more governmental holidays. Uh, so this was already occurring, and so this was occurring, so they think that he pretty much just picked December 25th uh, as Jesus' birthday to give an official birthday. Because in the Roman Empire, you, all, all the gods' birthdays were celebrated. And so that's why he does picks the 25th, as far as we can determine. But Because we know, we know it started just after, in 336 with Constantine. So that's why December 25th is our is Jesus' birthday. 
the, the reason it's the sun god's birthday is because of the, the solstice light, right? Right. It's the, right. the darkest day of the year is the 23rd, the 23rd. 23rd. Yeah, and, then, and so then, then a couple days after that, you realize, ah, oh, oh, the day's the day getting longer again. So that's the sun god. The sun god has defeated the night yeah. god, the moon yeah. god, and so therefore he's going to continue to rule. Uh, and so the 25th happens to be that day. Uh, it's enough time to see that the light is returning. Right. So, which is also why this festival is here, that they'll be able to... Uh, uh, sow and grow and reap food again. Because remember, this everything's agricultural based in the Roman Empire. Because if you have one bad uh, harvest, if you're on the bottom, you're going to die. Alright. Uh, other, other parts about this story. Uh, Luke is very precise in his language. When he says there's no room at the inn, oh, another thing I should tell you, when you return to the village, you return not to the village where you're from, but Romans wanted you to go to the village where you owned property. That's how they register people. Joseph is from Bethlehem. His family is there. He probably had some sort of property there, which is why he had to go back. Because if you think about it, Jews are scattered all over the empire. They're not going from Rome back to Jerusalem for the census. It's, it's kind of where you're from. Joseph was up in uh, Nazareth because he was a he was a stone cutter, a builder, and that's where all the building was occurring. Was in Sephora and all the up around Lake Galilee, where Herod was building stuff. When when Luke says there's no room at the inn, he's using this word. Kalamala, uh, which he uses again when he tells the disciples to go find the room for them to have uh, the Last Supper in. Same word. The normal use for that is a room attached to a house, a guest room. The room for the word for inn, which we would think when we think of inn, a hotel. Is this word, which means all means all received. Luke uses it in the Good Samaritan. When the Good Samaritan takes him to an inn, he takes him to this place. So, a lot of people who study culturally said this is typically how a house was built. Uh, this is looking on above. You had your living room here. You had your guest room, uh, and then the stables where you kept your animals and the mangers were here. Uh, side view for you. So you lived here, the animals lived down here. Uh, and then when there were no guests, the parents probably lived in here and the rest of the kids lived in here. So when Joseph starts knocking on doors, what they're, remember everyone's here for the census. What they're saying is, I'm sorry, the guest rooms are all full. So more than likely, Mary, given the fact Joseph is from the line of David, so he is essentially royalty to the Jews. And culturally, there's not a prayer that they allowed a 15-year-old pregnant girl to go to the stable and have this baby by herself. And that's where his family is. And this is where his family is. Everyone in this village is basically related to him. So you know that, so where she birthed was probably in this room here. And the mangers are built in to the stone floor. So 
the, the culturally, she probably was not in a cave surrounded by animals. I mean, yes, there are probably animals here because there are animals there all the time. Well, there's no wall there. There's no wall. No, it's. Uh, I know. I know you're looking to try to build your next house like this. <laughs> yeah, it's like this. It's uh, you've got this depth here, so the animals are down here. Provided warmth for the family. Provided warmth for the family. Security, Security at, night. at night. You can't steal them if they're inside. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why they do this. They're an asset. You know? they're an, yeah, because if you can get enough money to get an animal, that's 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 your bank account. And so the more animals you have, the more the bigger bank account. So they kept them inside at night. Uh, and so more than likely, she actually delivered in a house like this around Joseph's family. And then, which also makes sense of when the Magi do come and see her, they're actually in a house. They're not in a, they're not in a barn, what we would consider a barn. But you got to remember, a lot of these stories that we get go through multiple incarnations because they went through northern Europe uh, and how people interpret the words into German, into, or into Latin, Greek, Latin, the German, and then English, and Old English, Middle English, current English. But most of the guys who chose culture said she probably delivered in the house, surrounded by the midwives. Joseph blows family. up the nativity. I know, it kills the nativity. market. Yeah. I know. It really does. So, yeah. So, I mean, there are still animals there. No donkey, because, you know, they're poor. They don't have a donkey. So, uh, but, you know, there are probably sheep there, because this is sheep central. Uh, obviously, no pigs there. Probably some chicken. Uh, and, but they all live down here. So, I mean, so she actually birthed in what a relatively normal location for women at that time. It also said it clearly in Luke, it said, when the days of right. her pregnancy, and it's not like she showed up. Yeah, yeah. Right. 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 She was there. She was there. There, the day came. Right, because Joseph would not have been, well, Mary's mother in Bethlehem would not have been dumb enough to allow her daughter to walk a hundred miles to Bethlehem. In active labor. In active labor, yes. That was not going to occur. So they probably left a couple months before that, or a month before that, knowing that, you know, you know they know what, how long it takes, uh, and that, oh, let's leave a month early, we'll get there, and then when she went to labor while she was there. But all the stories we have of her showing up in labor on the back of the donkey all come from the, uh, that second century book that was so popular that it was totally overcome. When you look at all the pictures of the nativity, especially when you get into the, uh, the Dutch masters, the German masters, the Italian masters, they're all taken from that, that book. They're not taken from the Bible. There's a really good, all those good stories. Are you going to talk about how they're concerned about it being the city of David, like, like Bethlehem, connecting them to, to David's you know, kingship? You know, that, there, there's, there's that right, side right. too. Yeah, because Jesus has to be born there. Yeah. And then uh, we have the story, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields. I'm in close. All right. Uh, and the angel comes to them and said, for today in the city of David, that tells every Jew that that's Bethlehem, that's the city of David, uh, you'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then you, you hear, this is the fourth song, I believe, in Luke. Uh, and so the, the shepherds said, let's go to Bethlehem. They're in the fields. That's the other thing that, that gets into timing. During the winter, you don't keep sheep in the fields. Uh, they're put up somewhere. So that puts it either in the spring or the fall that you have the sheep out. Uh, so they came in a hurry, found 
Mary, Joseph, and the babies that lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about the child, which is from the angel. And Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And they went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard, just as it had been told to them. Why shepherds? In Israel at the time, shepherds are the lowest social group. You know, in the, in, the, in the, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We tend to think of shepherds as like, you know, everyone wants to be a shepherd. And Israel at that time, the shepherds were the lowest working group. Uh, they were unclean according to rabbinic tradition by this point. You could not be a, a rabbi or a, a strict believer and be a shepherd. They were very uneducated. And it was one of the, tra the trades are actually prohibited for rabbis. And rabbis always had to do something. Uh, they could not be shepherds. So uh, the fact that Jesus, the first group that visits him are the shepherds, uh, that's the social bottom. The whole thing that Jesus is the Messiah of everyone, he started, the very first person in the group that sees him is the social bottom in the world at that time, the shepherds. And it, which is, of course, the theme of the book of Luke. Jesus comes to save all. Even the poor are worthy of salvation. That's an important part in that time, yes. Um, you mentioned earlier that 90% of the million in Rome were slaves. Yes. Do we have a general idea of how many people in Bethlehem might have been shepherds and therefore would have been unclean? Oh, uh, the majority of them, that, that is Bethlehem's job. It is sheep central in Israel. Okay. So, 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 um, so what we are saying is that we got, pretty much that whole town's unclean. Yes. Because I think that's, that's one of those things that we tend to overlook when we think of the poor people, the unclean people, the shepherds. Oh, there's a few of them over there. Yeah, no, this is like but this is Yeah, yes. but this, this, is, this is not... The you know this is not the town is ninety nine and there's one shepherd over there that's poor and unclean. It's more in. Well, it's, I mean, because what what was David's occupation? Yeah, shepherd. Because that's what you do in this area of Israel is they're shepherds, and so and in fact when you roll up in towards Passover, there are literally hundreds of thousands of sheep in this area because this is just south of Jerusalem. Uh, and in fact, there's a law at this time of, in history that if a sheep is closer to Jerusalem than Bethlehem, it belongs to the temple. Because they didn't brand their sheep or anything. You had to have the shepherds. So if it's closer from, Jerusalem, from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, it, it, it belongs to the temple. I don't know what language. Speak, we're speaking tongues in your argument. There we go. You know you're supposed to have a translator for that in church, Jerry. <laughs> so, yeah. So that, that's really the story of, of Jesus' birth, is that he has come, he's come to the lowest social, social rung. That's where he's born. He's born in what is a functionally an unclean town to a bunch of people who are primarily shepherds. And he is the, so he's going to start his messiahship at the total bottom. And then the last two stories were interesting. He, uh, they go to Jerusalem, the purification rites where they, uh, young doves or pigeons, that's for the poor people. If you're rich, you take a sheep. Uh, 
He met a man named Simon who was righteous and devout. Those are two different things. Righteous is what God makes you. Devout is what you do. So that tells you that he is very, he's super devout. Uh, and then, and he was told by the Holy Spirit he would not die before he sees the Messiah. He sees Jesus, and he comes up with a song. Everyone kind of responds with a song. Uh, and then, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many of Israel, and that will be a sign to be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many will be revealed. And a sword of pierce your own soul too. Mary again thinks about this. And then, because in Luke, every time a guy does something, there's usually a woman attached to it. We have Anna, the, da the daughter, who is either 84 or she's been 84 years since she was married. We're not sure. We think she's probably 84. And she's always in the temple, and everybody knows her. Uh, and then she sees the child and says exactly the same thing. This is the redemption of Jerusalem. That's the word for Messiah. Redemption of Jerusalem means this is the Messiah. And then... They skip, if you look at Matthew, we skip the whole thing about uh, Herod killing the babies and moving to Israel, moving to Egypt for two years. According to Joseph, according to Luke, uh, they required the law and they went back to Galilee. Well, they did. They went to Egypt for two years. Then they went to Nazareth and the child grew strong. And the last little story is uh, we skipped it. He's 12 now. We skipped everything in between. And uh, Parent, you know they're believe, they are strict believers because they go every year to Jerusalem for the Passover. And uh, then the fact that they're on their way back, Jesus stays behind and he's talking. And so that's Luke starting to ramp up who Jesus is. That Jesus is the Messiah and that he is capable of sitting with the smartest of the priests. And, and, the, and the writers of the law. Two, two stories there. His dedication at the temple and then him going back to the temple. Temple, temple is like Jesus going, his journey to the temple is very important in Luke. Right, and then you're going to see that because he goes to the temple probably twice more in Luke. And yeah, and so the temple is very important in the story. Not that the temple is the temple, is that Jesus is going to supersede the temple. But until he does, he is a believing Jew. And I think that is it for the day. Woo! Blew through that. All right. So basically, first story, remember, throw out the donkeys out of your nativity scene. There was a donkey there. There probably wasn't any camels there, by the way, either, because the, uh, the Magi rode them in, and that's like a year and a half from now. That's right. Or some amount of time from now. Uh, all right, any thoughts, questions? So, um, a question about the, the central theme that you cited from Luke 19. Are you saying that the, that the central theme of Luke is that is salvation for all? Salvation is for everyone. For all. For and all. So, and the emphasis on the all. Everyone. Right. So you're, you're seeing every because every story because Luke talks about stories of men and women. He talks about stories of Jew and Gentile the, and the, 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 the marginal people, the, the rich the, and the, the very poor. poor yes. So when you go through Luke, 
pay attention. They're often paired. Like he, yeah, he almost always pairs them. He'll always go high, low, rich, poor, man, woman, uh, uh, Greek, Jew. For Jew, he does Jews first, Jews and then Greeks. He always pairs stuff. Is there an order to the pairing? Because I because I remember the our characters. The first characters are women. Yes. Which and is which is. We, well, that's well, I mean, I guess I guess Zechariah is the first character, but right. the first, yeah. But the but the but the first ones to accept are the women. Okay, right. that's and yeah. so you you almost always see, uh, yeah, the stand in Luke is almost always the standard character, Zacharias. Yeah, and then the one that's the true believer. The second one is almost always in Luke, the one where the true stories happen. And so you'll see that all the time. Jew, Gentile, male, female, uh, rich, poor, uh, you know, all, all the proverbs or the, the proverbs, parables that we're going to get into all do that. They, they set up pairs. The correct, what everyone thinks is the correct, and then the one that Jesus will say. It's going to be good Samaritanism in Luke. Yes. Yeah, that's the, exactly. Two oh. good Jews go by right. the Samaritans that he wrote. Right. Who is the, who would be, in America today, would be a Mexican. So most of the most of the sheep for the temple came from Bethlehem. So yeah. that's that's yeah, oh yeah. Another, another, uh, Passover reference. Right. Another Passover reference you get in there is that yeah, because Jesus is from Chet Bethlehem, all the sheep that are sacrificed are pretty much from Bethlehem. Where Jesus is born? Bethlehem. And you had to take care of your sheep, you couldn't let them get messed up. Right. They were on the straw and yeah. all kinds of stuff. Especially if you want to sell them at the temple, because the temple required perfect sheep. Although they were less perfect because they were owned by the priest than if they're the other guys. If you brought a sheep in, it was never perfect. It was the priest sheep that was always perfect. But we're gonna get we'll get into that a little later. Priest, non-priest. Uh, again, it, everything in Luke is paired. Alright, next week. So you were Angus, Angus next week. So third chapter next week. So Jeff, you're yes. opting for Theophilus being a real person occupying yes. well you identified him as possibly the there yeah there there is uh we know from roman writings that the uh, mayor of antioch syria was named theophilus okay. theophilus was a very common name in the first century yeah. there were there were high priests named theophilus uh there were uh, so so this guy uh what did you say what did he was the he was the mayor of antioch syria so we, we would have he have been? Would he have been a Greek? A he was. He was. Uh, he was probably a. Is probably a Roman. A Roman. Right. Because Antioch is the third biggest town in Rome. But Roman of Jewish descent or Roman? No, he's not, of, he's not, he's not Jewish. He's a Greek. Okay. So his name Theophilus, which means a God lover. Right. Uh, why would he have had that name? Very, very, very common name. In, in the for, first for I mean, it's, it's like for uh, Greeks. A Roman, Romans, Romans, did, Romans did it too. Uh, a lover of what god? It, it, it's, it's non-specific. It's so there. Considering we, the Greeks and Romans had the you know, right. pantheon of you know how right. many different gods and goddesses, you know. I'm but not it, sure, it's but yeah, we, it's. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's like uh, in the Hispanic culture, name your child Jesus, uh, which which you could use to identify 
somebody right. specific, or, or it could just be all those Mexicans. Right. So it's so yeah. So Theophilus was a very very common name because you had you know the Hebrews didn't call their call their children Theophilus. The only ones we have examples of are the high priest who were <coughs> Sadducees became Greek lovers very early on, and so they changed a lot of their names to Greek instead of using Hebrew names and Greek names. So the, there were two, we know there were two around the time of this writing that their name was Theophilus, who were high priests for some period of time. But from a storytelling perspective, it works because it is both an individual, it, it, it works both as, as an, an individual, individual and, and as a group of people. Right. And so that actually makes it a more powerful story mechanism because right. you can be speaking to either and it works either way. Right. Therefore, it works twice with one word. Right. And and this also could and you know another equally possible, although I think less likely, is that this is Paul's lawyer for Paul's trial before Caesar Caesar. That the office is that individual. But it, it runs the same way. But that's supposition. That's totally supposition. Oh. There's all, no this, all, all of this is supposition yeah. when we're talking about Theophilus. Right. All, all of, yeah, <laughs> we, we know that there was a mayor of Antioch at the time that Luke is writing this, who is Theophilus. And the whole slave discussion that we got into was based on the hypothesis that Luke might have been a slave. Well, Theophilus. Was that how that? Yes, that, 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 that? that is. There, there are some hints in early Christian father writings that that's how Luke got assigned to this. Is that when Paul, because the church moved to Antioch early on, and you know that really became where the church flourished. The first real Gentile churches were in Antioch, and that uh, that's where Paul starts all his missionary journeys from. They, they start in Antioch and they go out and come back. And so there is, a, there is a lot of early church writing, father writing, about guys like Theophilus. Uh, the, the, who we know from history that Theophilus was very Christian friendly. Who was the guy who was the mayor, we would call him the mayor of Antioch. Not, not our Antioch. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, I assume that. Yeah. So, so all, all I care about is open floor plan. Open floor plan. That's totally open floor plan, right there, man. I'm sorry. It's just, it's it's all it's all one thing. You got. What did you do? It's just it's a total open floor plan, right there. And then when you're done, when you're done with eating, you just throw the scraps right to the manger. You don't even have to take them outside, is it? Tiny house. So it's actually a tiny house. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. 